Welcome to The Sober Effect, a show that looks at the positives of sobriety, the dangers of alcohol and the many people who are affected by it. I'm Kate. And I'm Steph. The ripple effect of alcohol is far-reaching, and those are the stories you'll hear on The Sober Effect. Episode 16, Steph, and we've got Lexa on today, yes. who is a wonderful young lady in her mid-twenties. Age-wise, she is, but old soul for sure, and has had to grow up very quickly. She's the first guest that we've actually ever had on who's come on to talk about the effects of alcohol secondhand. You know, her mother was a heavy drinker, and she's got a very complex story and relationship with her mother, but now she's become her main carer. Yeah, I found Lexa on TikTok. Um, she doesn't have a huge presence on sober Instagram, but we do share her TikTok handle in the show notes if anyone's interested in following her story because it's one that, as someone who used to drink, it's heartbreaking um, because I am a mother. And I think anyone who's a mother or a daughter, is going to really, it's going to pull at your heart because like you said, she is now the caregiver for her mother who is only 57 and has this disease called Korsakoff syndrome, which I'll go ahead and explain what that is. Korsakoff syndrome is a memory disorder and it's a result from a vitamin B1 deficiency, which is associated with alcoholism. It damages your nerve cells and supporting cells in the brain and the spinal cord, as well as part of the brain involved with memory. So basically, it's like an alcohol-induced dementia. Darla is 57 years old, which is very young to even experience dementia. And Alexa is taking care of her. Over on TikTok, she's been sharing videos of conversations with her mother that have attracted a lot of attention. And I think she's so brave for doing that because it's obviously a very difficult thing to do, but it's it's awareness of the reality of what alcohol can do to you. And she's incredibly sensitive with her, isn't she? It, it's mm-hmm. not a kind of like, look at my mom, look what I'm putting up with it. It's, it's completely the opposite of that. She's just such a caring and wonderful young lady, but she wants people to see what can happen. And I think that's really important because we all think, well, I might forget the evening, but we don't think about the long-term effects a lot. Well, I certainly didn't. And the thought of me developing that disease and my children having to look after me because of something that I brought on myself because of alcohol is terrifying. And I think it's a really important episode for people to listen to for exactly that reason. Yeah, we think alcoholic, we think liver damage, probably down the line, we will discover I've never heard about this before. And I'm sure there's tons of things that alcohol does that we are unaware of. And that's the point of this podcast, right, is to bring awareness, because I think when people hear where this could go, it really opens your eyes to a future that you don't want. Absolutely. Well, let's jump straight straight in and meet Lexa. I'm excited. This is the first podcast I've ever done. And I didn't think that this video would have gotten me to this opportunity. But this is really cool. And I'm really excited to be able to share my story. Kate and I are very well aware of the effects that our drinking had on those around us. And it really comes into light once you get sober, like you really see the contrast. And that is the point of this podcast is to share those stories 
because there's so many podcasts that share the drinker's story. Right. And there and that's important too, but a lot of people don't realize how much their drinking has a huge effect on those around them. So I love that you did your TikTok account. Definitely it's gonna make a difference. I mean, look at all the people that are following it and are like interested in the well-being of you and your mom. I mean, that just shows you right there. It's overwhelming. Um, I've probably gotten more messages this last like week and a half than I think in my entire life. And just the messages that I've gotten. I've gotten people that are like in the situation that I'm in. I've gotten people that are, you know, alcoholics that are wanting to get sober and are like, I don't want to affect my children like this. And then people that have also just not heard about the syndrome itself. I had no idea that it even existed until my mom got diagnosed. And it was really interesting because she didn't get diagnosed for a while. My dad was actually taking care of her for about two years and they had been divorced for 10 years, but she was really on her last leg. And actually the cops had picked her up and my dad's number was the only number that she could remember. And so they called my dad and were like, hey, we have this lady here and like, she's not safe on the streets. Like she really needs somebody to take care of her. So my dad, took her in for about two years and didn't really do anything to take care of her or like care for her. He's, he's a whole different story. He's not really a great person. Um, I kind of feel like he took the opportunity to kind of like get back at her for the divorce and kind of just like be really mean to her and just be like, oh, well, look where you ended up without me type of thing. And I didn't like that. You know, even though she inflicted a lot of trauma on me, I was still like, she's still a human. Like she still needs to have help in her life. And so he ended up placing her in a different home, just some random home. And he gave me like a very vague name. It was an Arizona and I was trying to find all these places to find her. Can't like be like, hey, I want to talk to Darla because like it's like a secure thing. So they're like, well, we can't verify that Darla's here. But if the person of that name is here, then they can call you. So I'm calling all these places for months. And finally, I get a phone call from her after like six months. And she says she's not doing well. And I end up taking everything I own. I had just been divorced about a month too. And I had just moved and I took everything I own and sold it. And I went down there to go take care of her. Just seeing her after so many years, um, because I hadn't seen her for 11 years at that point either. This was the first time I had seen her in 11 years. And I was like, who is this lady? So I actually, I was the one that had to get her diagnosed. She had gotten the illness, but didn't get diagnosed until I officially became her caregiver because I took the initiative to actually be like, what's wrong? We need answers. We need to figure out what's actually going on. And that was its own process because a lot of the time people don't want to take people that have drinking issues seriously. They usually just kind of want to be like, oh, well, she just drank her whole life and that's just kind of what happens and you got to deal with it. No, like there's an illness behind this and there's there can be like things to help it, you know, and you said you hadn't seen her in 11 years. Now, is that because of her drinking? Is that why you guys had a strained relationship? Yeah, essentially, her alcoholism, like she she chose alcoholism over being a mom. Um, I remember multiple times as a kid, I would, I would beg her to stop, like I would try to do all these things. And she would just be like, Nope, like I choose alcohol over you. And Hearing that as a kid, like that was always so hard because I remember trying to make her happy and like make crafts at school and try to make her breakfast in the morning and clean the house really good so that like she wouldn't do these things. Because I'd be like, well, if she's happy and she has all these things, then like she won't have to drink, right? I'm working on this in therapy, but like it's it's still a thing where I feel like I'll never be good enough to be, you know, stuck around for it because she did choose to leave. 
and she left for 11 years and she left me in a really bad place. Like I said, my father was not a good person. So yeah, it, it really affected me negatively in the fact that I just have a hard time looking at myself in a positive way because, you know, you're supposed to have that motherly connection and she's supposed to be the person that protects you and teaches you the motherly things. Like I had to learn how to, you know, go through my period on my own and everything. And mm-hmm. I needed a mom, but I always think about it as fuel to be able to love my kids even more because I'm like, all right, well, I know how it feels to not have that feeling. So I'm just going to love my kids on level 10. Going back to the sort of beginning where this happened and then you reconnected with her, kind of you had no choice. Well, some people would say, well, I wouldn't have bothered. So it's incredible that you actually did all of that to go to someone who had been that kind of mother figure to you. Did you ever confront her about that and sort of say, why did you choose alcohol over me? How could you do that? Have you ever had that conversation with her? Yeah, I have actually. That's one reason why I've had to choose to put her in assisted living is just because this is a lot of trauma that I'm still sifting through myself. And I've had this conversation with her multiple times and sometimes it's hit and sometimes it's miss. Majority of the time it's miss. And the responses I've gotten have been really difficult because she kind of, with this disease, it looks a lot like dementia. So she'll normally kind of try to say, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Or like, I don't remember any of that. And to me, like, it's hard because I don't know if she's pretending to not remember out of shame or guilt, or if it really is just the disease. So I have to be really patient and kind and, you know, not be angry at her response because it could really be dementia and she really doesn't remember. But there has been moments where she has kind of remembered and then she kind of just tries to fill in the gaps with whatever excuse sounds good because a lot of times she'll say, well, I left because I wanted you to have good education. And I'm like, I don't understand how that correlates to to my education and you leaving as a mom figure. So honestly, I have to accept that I'm probably never going to get the apology and the realization that she did what she did. I'm never going to get that. And that's something I'm dealing with in therapy, which is a really, really hard thing to do. But it's something I'm going to have to accept because that's, that's a wall that I'm hitting in therapy. I noticed because I want so badly for her to just be like, I'm sorry, I left you and I wasn't here for you. I should have been there and I should have protected you and I shouldn't have been an alcoholic. There are kind of two sides to a coin in this instant in that people will say, well, alcoholism is a disease. She couldn't help herself. And then there's the flip side, which says there is help out there. If you want it badly enough, you can stop. And I have to say I'm with the second side of that coin because I do know that there is help out there. I do agree it's something that is incredibly difficult to get out of because it's a drug. It's an addictive drug and there's no warnings. You can buy it with a pizza in your local shop. You get you get given it at your children's school plays. So everyone's pushing it on you. But it is a drug and it has incre- an incredible effect on your brain. I can understand your your view in that, that you want that. But I think it is such a dark place that you get to in your head that you, you literally hear voices. You make things up. You can't remember things. You fill in the gaps and you believe them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I try and see things from both sides a lot of the time. And I think a lot of people listening will be struggling mentally hearing you say that because we haven't ever heard from someone who's been affected by a parent before. We've heard about people who have said, I was a bad parent. 
Mm. They've come out of the other side. And I'm not by any means, Lexa, sort of saying she made the choice. But but there does come a point. You have to be responsible when you have children. You have yeah. to put them first, don't you? And the drug is just so strong that I think people don't think they can cope without it. And it's incredibly sad because we know, we've seen people so close to death we've interviewed that have come out of the other side. It is possible. I understand what you're talking about, whether it's like two sides of the coin, because it's like, you know, it is a really hard thing to fight. And that's what I try to take into consideration. Like, that's why I'm here. Like, I could just be like, you know what, mom, like, sorry, you hurt me. I'm going to go and do my own thing. And you can honestly, it sounds bad, but she would be dying alone if I wasn't here. But I realize I have two other siblings. I have a younger brother and an older sister, and they want nothing to do with the situation. And what I realize is even though this woman put me through a lot of trauma and I'm still dealing with my own resentment, and my bitterness and everything, I get to have this moment in her last moments to get to know her that my siblings are ignoring. And, you know, it's frustrating and it's upsetting at sometimes, but like, I, I get to see her. Like I get to see, like, I'm taking her to the fair today and just seeing her light up about the fair is so cool because like, I know nobody in her life ever took the time to just go do fun things with her. When I say my dad was a terrible human, he was a terrible human. Like he was another reason why she never really decided to get clean because he would enable her and stuff. So it's cool getting to have that experience with my mom, however long it lasts with her. Like I get to be there by her side, holding her hand. I know the last 50 something years of your life have been hell, but I'm here to make the last couple of them like worth it. You're incredible. I mean, honestly, <laughs> your outlook on this, because this is going to be healing for you because of the angle you're coming in on, because there are certain things now that are just completely out of your control. Right. And there are things also that are completely out of your mother's control. You will never know now because she has this disease if she would have ever come around and been able to give you that. So you're making the best out of the situation that you possibly can. And I think it's the right path. It really is. Do you want to talk about where you went and got her and got her diagnosed? How long ago was that? Last year, I picked her up in April and she was getting, she was at that assisted living. She was already in the process of getting diagnosed, but everything that had happened with her, I want to say happened about five years prior to that. I had gotten some information about her through my sister. I had gotten this random call one day. I was living in Alaska. My mom and my sister were living in Arizona. I got this call and my sister was like, hey, mom is like hallucinating and like having like a really hard time. She's saying she's in Alaska and she's like asking me to go get you. And she's just like not doing okay. And she's like having seizures as well. And I was like, uh, well, is she in the hospital? Like, are you doing something about it? Because my sister's also an extreme heroin addict. So I didn't know if this was true or not, but it was. So she had been in the hospital for a few days and I was calling her every single day because my sister had pretty much just placed her in the hospital and left. So I was calling every day and it was kind of trippy and scary because one, I really hadn't talked to her. This is probably the very few amount of communications I had with her in the 11 years I didn't see her she was calling me and she was like yeah can you like bring me a pack of cigarettes from the store and I'm like like I said I'm in Alaska she's in Arizona and she's like I'm gonna like hop on the plane and go down to Kodiak this afternoon and just talking about really random stuff and then she was also talking about her parents she was talking about them still being alive 
and they had died when she was very young and she was convinced that they were still alive and I was still I was having to have these conversations with her that were really hard between this five-year time period that's kind of where she was getting placed with my dad and then placed in this home that was really difficult to find. All of the information I get is through like the grapevine of my family. And also the grapevine is a very untrustworthy grapevine. So it's all very confusing. I'm still trying to piece my life together. And it's still a confusing story that has so many holes. But she gets taken out of the hospital. She continues living with my sister. But my sister's like taking advantage of her because she notices that she has a mental illness and isn't doing anything, is taking all of her money this is when COVID's happening. So she's taking all her stimulus checks, all of this stuff. And then finally, my mom's left with nothing. She left on the streets. They get kicked out. My sister goes to another, you know, heroin house. And then my mom is on the streets. That's when they get called to my dad. My dad takes care of her. While my dad's taking care of her, my, my dad is like saying this stuff about her. Like, she's not who she used to be. And you know, I was really angry at my mom still at this time. Like, I didn't realize how serious the disease was because I hadn't seen it firsthand. And he was saying that she was being weird. And I was like, what do you what do you mean? And growing up, she was a very angry person, like consistently, um, always looking for a fight. She was almost kind of like the mean girl in high school, like really pretty, but always looking to just like fight somebody because she was the popular girl. And she completely 180. Like, she had become so docile and even her voice had changed. She used to kind of talk similarly to me and just super normal. But if you can tell in my video, she yeah. has kind of like a high pitched, almost childlike voice. And that's just how she talks now. I'm not sure if that is something that is affected from the disease or not, but she is not an angry person. She like, if you tr like tried to make her mad, she would not want to do anything about it. She'd probably get sad, honestly. And she just talked about having a lot more out-of-body experiences. She had said she was in a coma, and I'm not really sure because, again, the grapevine is an untrustworthy one, so I'm not sure. And she had talked about how she had, like, seen her brother in the, like, past life and how her brother was, like, telling her, like, it's time for her to go. But she was like, I'm not ready to leave this earth yet. And she has a lot of memory issues. What my dad had mentioned when he was taking care of her and what I've noticed since taking care of her is she needs a full-time caregiver because if somebody wasn't there, she wouldn't know to take a shower. She wouldn't know to eat. She wouldn't know to brush her teeth. She's actually um, recently become incontinent. She's still so young, you know. And it, How old is she? She's only 57. Oh. Yeah. And the, the caretakers that are actually taking care of her are older than her. And every time I go and I call an assisted living place, which I'm actually transferring her to a different one closer to me. And the caretaker for her is like, I'm older than her. Like, that is so crazy that somebody so young is going to be in my, my care. And I was like, it is really insane because I also have a coworker, uh, Dina. She's amazing. And she's in her late 60s. And she just does all the things in the world. She's like, yeah, I'm going up to Denali this weekend and I'm going to Seward and I'm going to go on a boat trip and ride the train and do all this stuff. It's just so wild to see the difference of where somebody could be, you know, what the choices they make in their life. Going back to what you said actually about her becoming so docile and being quite an argumentative person. I wonder if that's got to do with the fact that I think in order to have an argument, you have to be quite confident and you have to have 
ammunition in the form of words. You've got to be sharp. You've got to know what you're saying. You've got to come back. And actually, if you've lost your confidence in your memory and you're worried about humiliating yourself or saying something, it's going to be impossible to do that. And actually, I used to completely forget evenings and I'd wake up and I'd I'd ask a question and, and someone would say, we had that conversation last night. Can you not remember it? And it was mortifying. Definitely shrink into myself while I was trying to work out what was happening. And you lose confidence in, am I going to say something and everyone's going to look at me? On a much bigger scale, I wonder if that's what's happening is that she realizes that she's not quite got a grasp on reality and what's happening I mean do you think she knows what's going on at the moment with her do you get times I'm assuming she doesn't drink anymore but maybe I'm wrong does she still drink um no she actually doesn't drink since you know she was placed in that hospital in my dad's care and in my care um it was definitely not an option not something that we kept around I personally don't drink myself and if she did If she was drinking in this situation, I really don't know if I'd be able to be a part of this situation because, like I said, she was a very angry person. When she was drunk, she was violently drunk. And so, you know, it is an interesting perspective to look at it like that. Like, I never really looked at it like, oh, maybe it is because of the lack of confidence because it really is just so 180. Like, we haven't gotten into situations like I have when I was a kid. When we were kids, it was, like, so fueled and everything. Like, we've gotten into disagreements, but nothing to where it would initiate her to get that angry. So I guess I haven't tested it. Not something I want to test. Honestly, I noticed that when things do get stressful for her, she almost kind of zones out, like even her eyes kind of change. And she kind of just, she goes somewhere else. Like, it's very interesting to watch because she'll start to shake almost like she'll get these tremors in her hand. It's almost like she's having a psychic vision or something. I'm not sure if she really is, but it's just the way that her face looks and how she reacts to stressful situations. It almost looks really similar to a PTSD breakdown and stuff like that, which I've noticed is a big issue for her. She's had so much trauma and has done nothing to try to treat it. And I think a lot of that plays into it because she'll have stress-induced seizures, I've noticed. If we're going down the highway and somebody like slams on their brakes or something and I have to slow down kind of quick and she's been in a lot of bad accidents so she'll start to get really triggered and she'll start to shake and almost think that she's in that position again and so you'll have to calm her down and be like no mom you're here with me it's okay you'll have to explain the surroundings to her you know explain to her that she's okay she'll have a memory that this is danger i've been in a dangerous situation and it's like smell you can smell something and you can suddenly feel this wave of emotion it's not until you remember that it's your horrible ex-boyfriend's aftershave that you're right. that's why you feel like punching someone you know it it's things like that different things will trigger memories and and if she can't piece everything together if the, if the jigsaw isn't fitting she'll go into that fear won't she because she'll know she's in danger but she doesn't know why or she's powerless as to get her way out and it's probably pretty terrifying. I mean, imagine just not being able to remember why, but knowing this is scary 
recently with her memory um, since I've had to place her in assisted living. It's not ideal because I think for a dementia patient, she should be around people that she's familiar with more consistently, but it's not something I have the finances to do right now. I'm hoping to do it in the future. But I noticed like when I'm taking her back to her place, she's trying to connect the pieces. Well, where am I going? Why are you taking me back? Why can't I stay with you? And like, just she starts to have this panic of abandonment because she has been abandoned. Like my dad dropped her off at some random place. You know, she was left on the streets. My sister took everything she owned. She has this constant fear of somebody's going to leave her and no one's going to be there for her. And when I was looking at the assisted living homes, I checked out two yesterday and I had her come with me and I was like, mom, which ones do you like the best? One has a bigger bed, but this is a little different. Which one fits you better? She was like, I want which one is ever closest to you. That's all I care about. And I don't know. It's just really interesting. She's doing better when I'm around, but definitely when I'm not, the memories start to flood her and she starts to get scared because she doesn't have that sense of comfort of, okay, I have something to hold on to that is familiar and that is going to like, almost like a ground base, I guess, if that makes sense. Well, it's like, finally, there's a good mother in the relationship, but sadly, it's you. And she's an incredibly lucky woman because her alternative situation um, is is incredibly sad and, and desperate. Yeah, no one at 25 should be worrying about the things that you are having to worry about. I mean, these are the things we deal with with our parents later in life, you know, when we have had a lot more of life experience, maybe we've raised our own kids already and things like that. Do you want to elaborate a little bit more on like some of the things that you are going through in your life, like how it's affecting your day to day? Um, This has been by far the hardest thing I've ever done. I got divorced at a young age and I thought that that was something that was going to be hard. But no, this was hands down the hardest thing I've ever done. Just the stress. uh, One, they don't tell you how much paperwork goes into this. There's, There's an incredible amount of paperwork that goes into trying to get help from the state and from the government and everything like that. And it's time consuming. And it's something that I, like I said, I never thought I'd be dealing with at such a young age. I thought that, you know, my my children would have at least maybe got the chance to like meet my mom or something like that. And I'm not sure if that's even an option really. And you know, what I really think about is what it's going to look like at the end. That's what stresses me out the most because right now it's just the day-to-day stuff. And you know, it is, it is hard, but like I said, I get the opportunity to get to know my mom again and it's not an ideal situation, but it's an opportunity that was given to me. But thinking about what it's going to look like at the end is what gets me because, like I said, my siblings don't want anything to do with it. And so imagining having to go through the final stages alone is going to be hardest thing to deal with. I talked to her about what she wants that to look like. And luckily, her answer is always the same. So I don't have to, you know, worry about like, oh, is this really what she wants? Or is this just a day thing? But what I deal with on the daily was definitely now what I deal with now is not as hard as it was when I first picked her up. I was not able to work at all. I was taking care of her full time. And I was basically just door dashing to be able to make ends meet. And I bring her door dashing with me. And it was kind of fun because she was able to go to work with me and everything everything like that. But this is something I would never wish upon anybody. I miss her. Like I miss her so much. I want to be able to just go do the normal mom and daughter things and be able to talk to her about 
boys and like what it's going to look like to have kids. And when I do have kids, like, mom, is this normal that like my boobs are doing this? Or like, you know, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's almost like being able to like tap on a piece of glass and like you can see the person, but you just can't touch them. And like, you can't like really get that person that you know is there. But I don't know. I'm also noticing that like her quality of life is starting to deteriorate. And so it's always a question of like, how long is this going to last? Because I'm not sure. Corsikoff is something that everybody is still trying to figure out what it looks like, what it ends like, how to fix it. And I am just going along with the ride and seeing what's going to happen. And I'm nervous. I don't know what it's going to look like. But I do have a really great boyfriend who is able to help support me through all of this. And I really don't know what I would do if I didn't have that because I was doing this alone for a while. And it got really dark just thinking like, wow, I'm 26 and my whole life amounted to me just taking care of my mom and putting all of my savings, everything that I've ever worked towards. It was crazy the amount of money that I put into this woman. This might not be the most positive thing to say, But like, as I was putting all this money into her and all this effort, I was thinking, man, where was this for me? You know, when I would be making her dinner every night, I'd be like, well, where was my dinner when I was 11? That's what I'm working on in therapy, because it did get to a point where it was just so dark and so much resentment because I was just doing all these motions. And I was like, seeing my friends going to concerts and like, having their own families and doing their own things and their parents taking them on vacation and doing these things for them. And I'm just like, that must be nice. (laughs) It's all very valid though. It's extremely valid to feel that way. And I'm glad that you do go to therapy to work through these things because that's really huge. If I didn't have that either, like I said, my boyfriend, my therapist, my psychiatrist, Mm -hmm. they definitely keep me afloat. And if April does ever listen to this, um, she is an amazing, amazing person. She's taken... I want to say over two years to just help me work through it. And last two years, I want to say have been the most traumatic years I've had. So when I first started, we were like, oh, we're going to dive through your childhood trauma and your past. And then it was like, just kidding. You're going to focus on the present. And then maybe we'll get to the past if there's time. Do you think that the experience you've gone through and are going through will shape your decision for your sort of career? Can you see yourself wanting to find out more and and tell people about what actually happens, the reality? Because we all see these bottles of alcohol everywhere and the money wine culture. It's crap. It's dangerous. It's awful on so many levels. You know, is that something you think you might want to put your energy into? Or do you think you've got so little energy left? You might just focus on yourself for the rest of your life. Oh, man, that's a really good question. Um, I think a healthy balance is definitely needed. Focusing on myself has never been on my priority list ever. But again, something I needed to work on. But no, this has completely switched my life around. Just realizing, one, that it's something that nobody knows about. Too, like you said, somebody can just go buy a couple bottles of vodka, some wine, and a case of beer, and that purchase right there, that is a legal purchase, can be that person's suicide. And that cashier has no idea. You know, how can you go to a dispensary and you're only allowed a certain amount of this, but you can go to a liquor store, buy the whole place out, and it's no big deal. You know, like there has to be regulations. I personally think I'm, like I said, just excited to be able to be on a platform here where. I can share this story. Like, this is incredible. I'm sitting with two ladies, you know, one across the world, one in a whole different state. And like, 
I'm able to sit here and share my story like this is incredible. And I want to work with teenagers just because I feel like that's where it's preventable. Like that's where it starts. That's where my mom started. And that's where people are influenced. And, you know, a lot of the times kids are left to be like, oh, well, you're you're a teenager, you're just going through emotions, like, they're not going to take you seriously. Um, No, actually, like, this is where you can shape them to be the greatest human ever alive. And I'm not sure exactly what field like, because there's so many different layers when it comes to mental health or psychiatry or the health field. I don't know what exact title I would want to have. But I'm working with my company right now to try to do something called mental health first aid, just to bring mental health awareness to companies so that there's like somebody on staff to be able to be a person for other people to come to with substance abuse with mental health issues and basically like having a therapist on staff because it's important I have such a connection with like younger people I've noticed and I just think that would be such an exciting experience to be able to like walk aside them and be like you know what like we can get through this and you, you don't have to like turn to those situations like alcohol drugs to feel like you can escape because at the end of the day I really think it's love that we're all missing alcohol feels that little warm thing in your stomach that kind of feels like love, you know? And if you can just give somebody that feeling that, you know, might not necessarily feel like alcohol, but it feels similar and it's love, then I'm here for it. I would, I would do it for free at that point. Like, I don't care. <laughs> and I think I'm in love with you, actually. I know. You're like a wise, you're like a wise old soul. Who's he really is. He makes so much sense. And that's exactly what I want to do as well. I want to, to work with younger people and, and educate and say, look, this is the reality. You can make trends on TikTok that are ridiculous. Like, why can't we make a trend like to be yeah. sober? I'm here for it because, you know, my daughter is 15 and she hasn't shown much interest in drinking. Kate and I both started drinking when we were 14, by the way. So we resonate with what you're saying. It is a progressive disease. Like it creeps up on you. She's going to do what she's going to do. Right. But I want her to have a different view on what alcohol is. And so people like you, young adults who she looks up to, the more she sees that, she's going to be more inclined to like think about things before she does it. Because the examples I had, people that I knew that were in their 20s when I was that young, they were out partying and I couldn't wait to do that. And so I love that there is a huge shift Problems. in that narrative now. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Like I still struggle because, you know, it is the cool thing to do to go drink and I'll have people that will want to go out to dinner and they'll be like, do you want to have a drink or like coworkers having like appreciation parties and everybody starts drinking and you're like the odd guy out. And I've never struggled with it personally as an addiction. And so people assume as soon as you don't drink, like, oh, you have an addiction. And not that that makes you any different because you don't drink. But it's like, I just personally don't do it because it's so sick. Like, I can't hang. Like, I tr like I sometimes I try like, I'll be like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna drink a beer. Watch out, guys. Like, here mm -hmm. I go. Mm -hmm. And then I'll like take three sips. And I'm like, I'm so bloated. Also, I take psych medications. And and I really want them to work. And so I know that if I drink and that's something that I do consistently, it's pretty much pointless. And so it's just, yeah, not my thing. But it, there is the stigma of like, oh, you don't drink, you're not cool. Or like, oh, do you have an addiction problem? And it's like, no, dude, I'm just 
you and me. Let me live my yeah. life. <laughs> do you do you drink Red Bull? Oh no, you don't. Oh wow. Do you have any advice or any kind of words of wisdom you could pass on to other people in the same situation? Oh man, I I'm not like wise or anything by any means, but I would say be graceful with yourself. It's not going to be easy, but getting the chance to be able to be there for your parent and getting to give them the love that I'm pretty sure that they never got to experience. And I know that that's not your responsibility. And I know that's not your job, but they are still humans. And there is still a little little person, a little kid inside of that person that just wants to be hugged and loved and told it's going to be okay, just like you do, just because your parent is a different figure to you doesn't mean that they don't want that as well. And just to be patient with yourself, try to take as much time as you can for yourself and not to drive yourself into the ground. If you're driving yourself so hard and you're taking care of them and then you're not there, then you're not there and you can't take care of them. And get a like support system. I know TikTok, you know, has a lot of crap on it, but being vulnerable and being raw on that platform has brought me so many people that I know are there for me and I'm not alone. And and there are other people out there that have gone through similar experiences and I've been able to talk to them and have a little support group, you know, whether it's TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Yeah, community is huge. Kate and I found that in sober Instagram. I mean, yeah, neither, I neither yeah, and neither one of us, you know, were into doing AA or anything. We both were very independent in our sobriety voyage and got on Instagram and there's so many people with similar stories. And we've connected. And I mean, look, she's in the UK. I'm over here. Now we're doing a podcast. Like, it's just... We have to start talking about the reality. You know, we're not all just sitting by a pool in our little bikinis laughing and giggling with our friends. It's bullshit. We're in car accidents. People are dying. They're having accidents, getting abused. That's the reality of what alcohol does to a lot of people. And I think talking about it and talking about the knock-on effect on the rest of our families is so important. I am so proud of you and I know that sounds stupid because I don't know you well I'm proud of you ladies too I mean look at you like you said you guys completely different sides of the world but you guys found community after being able to take a giant step that most people don't you know like you ladies could have not and ended up like my mom but you did it and look at you guys like you're out here spreading awareness talking to other people making other people feel comfortable to be able to do the same and then eventually we can make that trend I mean, Steph, what Lexa has just sort of said when she's been wrapping this conversation up about the fact that what people really need is love. And a lot of the people who I think drink dangerous amounts of alcohol are searching for is that. And she's so wise and she's so right, because by giving someone something that they're missing, they don't look for it elsewhere, do they? And and love isn't going to damage you the way that alcohol does. I mean, it's just such a wonderful way to look at it. Yeah. And I love that she has been able to find empathy for her mother in this journey. I mean, she's coming in at a different angle and I'm so proud of her for that. And I think she is going to be so proud of herself at the end of this journey that she did that. She's going to have zero regrets. We always want to blame the person. And this is a prime example of like wanting to blame her mother, but she was addicted to alcohol and she was in pain and she had things go on in her life that caused her to want to drown out that pain. And like Lexa was saying, you know, she, she sees that now and she wants to help her and she's human and she's, 
you know, we all make mistakes. And I think that that's a beautiful part or the silver lining of this journey for them is that she is going to be there for her in, in a time of need, even when, you know, no one else around wants to do that. And to have some time together that she never had before, mm-hmm. you know, the way she's she's thinking of this in those terms, because she's by no means trying to be a hero. She doesn't want credit. She doesn't want praise. She's thinking, you know, I can't not do this. And actually, it gives me the opportunity to spend some time with my mom. I just wish it wasn't like this, you know. And yes, it would be fantastic if her mom could sort of say, I'm so sorry. And and they could deal with some of these things because as she said, she's got so much in her head to deal with. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a shame, but she's, she's moving forward and she's saying what, you know, I've got to look at the positives and I've got to do this. So let's get on with it and let's share this story and hope that other people don't have to go through it. And, and it's just, it's an incredible story. And I will be following her with such admiration and interest. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Alexa, thank you for coming on and sharing all that. I'm sure it wasn't easy, but um, I love the fact that you're wanting to bring awareness because that's what it's about. We have to keep talking and having these conversations. Well, I think we're going to have to wrap this one up now, Steph. So cheers, and I will see you soon. Bye, Kate. Thank you for listening. We really hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, we're just two women from opposite sides of the pond wanting to bring awareness around the negative effects of alcohol. We are not licensed therapists or doctors. If alcohol is causing any mental or physical health issues, please seek professional help. Please be sure to give us a follow so you don't miss future episodes. If you think our podcast could help someone you know, please be sure to share it. Also, leaving a five-star review will help The Sober Effect reach more people like you. The music for this show was produced and recorded by Pearl and Thumbelina Jim of the wonderful Charm Jar Music. More information can be found in our show notes.